Welcome to Event Experience by Visibo. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the podcast where we bring the best and brightest event experience leaders together to share stories, tips, and lessons learned from creating some of the world's biggest events. This week, my guest is Orson Francescone. Orson has worked in the B2B media and events industry for over 15 years. He has led global conference and exhibition businesses for Euromoney Institutional Investor, The Daily Mail Group, and Haymarket Media. Since November 2019, he's been the managing director of FT Live, the global event business of the Financial Times. Throughout his career, he has specialized at enabling publishers to monetize their audiences and drive high margin revenues via all formats of events, from conferences to awards to large-scale exhibitions and trade shows, and more recently through digital events. In this conversation, we talk about how he got started at his role at Financial Times and FT Live, building community through strategic events, pivoting event strategy through the pandemic, executing a webinar with 6,000 registrations in just five days to plan, supporting an events team as they shift their skills from in-person to virtual events, and investing in a digital-first approach to events during a return to in-person events. All right, let's get into it. Hello, I am Eric Fisher. I am joined today by Orson Francescone. Orson, welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. How are you? Very excited to be here. Yeah, I am excited to talk with you. And uh, I, I would love to get started with a little bit of context here. So can you give a brief superhero origin story synopsis of your journey to the Financial Times and what your role is there? <laughs> well, I'm a superhero by the nature that I'm Irish Italian. So I'll give you that. And so I started my career at a great company called Euromoney Institutional Investor, which is a financial publishing company, writing content for their events business. And so I come from, a, I guess, a, a content background and a B2B media background. And these were the years of the digital transition of B2B media from print to online and a lot of advertising revenue that was moving into event sponsorship. And so, you know, there were very exciting years where essentially B2B events were becoming a very, very profitable part of the media mix. And a lot of companies were beginning to look at events as not just a marketing tool for their brand, but actually a profit-making part of their business. So the, a lot of media companies. And so uh, I spent 10 wonderful years there and ended up running a couple of their event divisions, primarily in banking and finance and commodity and energy. And so I traveled the world launching, I guess, and running events that were connecting international bankers and capital markets with local investors. That was kind of our thing. And then I moved into the trade show world. I worked for DMG events, which is part of the Daily Mail group. And so I was vice president there running some of the world's biggest um, trade shows in the energy and oil and gas sector. And so that was a real kind of completely different world, really. Conferences and trade shows were always very different, separate worlds. But trade shows were realizing that content was becoming more and more important to their value proposition. Uh, and so I guess they wanted somebody that was coming from that content background to help them leverage the power of content to grow their trade show and exhibition business. But fa fascinating world kind of gave me an insight into how scale is really important in the events industry. Once you get scale, you, you really build some very strong barriers to entry. And so, you know, some of these huge trade shows with thousands of exhibitors and, you know, 20, 30,000 visitors are, you know, really incredible cash generating assets from a business 
point of view. And they're very, very difficult to attack. And so media owners, you know, pre-pandemic certainly liked trade shows very much. And then luckily I got out of trade shows kind of more or less in time. I, I worked for a, a well-known media brand in the UK called Haymarket Media. This is the family-owned company by the former Deputy Prime Minister Michael Heseltine. And it, it, it is a legacy trade show kind of magazine business, also moving into the digital world and also realizing that events was a really a profitable tool for them, but also important leverage to connect their B2B communities. And then I got a call from the Financial Times in 2019, late 2019. And it was one of those calls that you, you couldn't say no to really. And so I, I landed at the FT in November 2019. And it was very exciting because it felt like going slightly back to my roots because I had started in financial media and financial events. And obviously the FT is probably the uh, most incredible brand in that space. And so it was one of those calls where I couldn't say no. And so that's kind of how I got to the FT and the, the rest is history, as we say, but I'm sure we'll be discussing it in a, in a bit more detail then. Yeah. So uh, listeners obviously hear or see a red flag coming when they hear you joined in November 2019, knowing that in a matter of months, the world yeah. is going to be drastically mm. changed. Obviously for the Financial Times, subscriptions are a main revenue driver and community Correct. plays a community plays a big part in that. Pre-pandemic, did you have any idea as to what the Financial Times event strategy looked like to involve subscribers and potential subscribers into that community? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And so I would say that the events business was quite, I would say quite disconnected from the center of the business and certainly the subscri subscriber journey and value proposition. And so it was very obvious when I joined even before COVID that and I, I internally, I call it the long march towards the center of FT Live. And so, you know, it was very obvious that FT Live needed to be much closer connected, first and foremost, with our newsroom operations. So I guess we were operating slightly in, in a siloed mentality before I arrived. And so one of my big pushes was to work a lot more closely with our newsroom and our uh, incredible talent and editors and really aligning our event strategy to the newsroom content strategy. And that's something we've been doing very successfully. And so now all senior event, all senior editors of the newsroom are involved in any event, new event launches that we, that we create. And so, and so that is really important. And then there was a systems and processes and technology disconnect. And so that was another kind of long march towards the, the center of the FT. And the third one, and really important for the kind of long-term and longevity, I guess, of the business model is how to embed events into the subscriber value proposition. And that's a really fascinating journey because it takes us all the way into the back office of our systems and processes and data. And so, you know, up until very recently, we were working on, you know, segregated database for event attendees and subscribers and not being able to market subscribers with events or, 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 or finding it very hard and clunky. And so, there's been a big push in terms of product and technology in terms of, you know, merging databases, merging marketing systems. And this may sound boring, but as actually is, is, there's a huge value add in, in making those processes more efficient. And now that we fixed, or we think we fixed most of the backend processes, now we're really working on embedding events into the actual subscriber proposition. And of course, digital events, which we haven't come to yet, make that a lot easier in the sense that it's a lot easier to embed digital event passes or dig digital event series passes into subscriber pricing or packaging. 
And so we're now working very closely with our colleagues in the subscription team and customer acquisition team as to how to price and bundle subscription with event with event access. And so it's a it's a really, really fascinating piece of work because we know and we've proven through lo- lots of analysis, internal analysis and econometric and statistic modeling that there's a very positive effect on subscriber acquisition and retention of them attending our events. And so we know that subscribers that attend our events are much more likely to renew their subscription. And that is obviously very powerful when, you know, subscription is kind of our North Star strategy. But we also know that non-subscribers who attend events also have a much higher propensity to take out a subscription. And so really the symbiosis and the value add there is kind of obvious, but we've proved it. And now we're kind of working to maximize it as much as possible. So you step into the role, you're starting to identify some of these things. You're Mm -hmm. planning for FT Live, which was supposed to happen in March, 2020, correct? Um, Or soon after. So we, we, Obviously, I came in in November 2019, and and of course, as part of my recruitment strategy, my recruitment process, I had to present a strategy, and my whole strategy was based on a kind of a, a pre-pandemic world, based, yes. based around physical events and, and in-person events, and how to grow a B2B in-person event business. And then, of course, COVID happened, and that, that whole, in fact, that whole deck actually, um, you know, I, I presented a version to it during my recruitment process, but obviously... Three months into my new job, I was due to present an updated version of it to the board. And that presentation actually never got made. It's still in, it's still in my drawer because the day I was due to present my FTLI physical event strategy was the day that I got struck down with COVID in very early March of 2020. And this was the very beginning of kind of the COVID wave in the UK and in the world. And so I never went in that day because I, I, I was ill. And very quickly, as you might remember, you know, the, the, the whole wave kind of took over. And so, and so that strategy is still in the drawer and it's kind of a piece of history, I guess, but it never, never got presented. And, and, and then, you know, I'm happy to talk you through the next phase, but I guess, I guess it was a very, uh, looking back on it, you know, exhilarating and exciting, but obviously at the time was also a very stressful time for anyone who working in events. And I'm sure I don't need to say that to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, Financial Times was one of the first to pivot to virtual. Correct. And so aside from, you know, you can, you contracting COVID, can you walk us through that sure. shift in thinking and action that you made at the time? Yeah. You know, what, what did the annual global event look like prior to the pandemic and then what did it shift to in 2020 yeah so i mean there was i i think the timing of me joining was not insignificant in the sense of you know i very felt there was a existential threat to you know my job my division my business and you know very much felt in march and april i like, you you know i've just joined this company and for all i know they, they might just fire me and fire and close down the entire division because you know an events division that can't run events isn't much of a <laughs> division and so i distinctly remember feeling gosh you know i, I don't know what we're going to do but we've got to do something because i don't want to lose this incredible job that i've just landed and so that kind of slight fear existential th- threat was a big driver in kind of the decisions that i then took and turning points and so we launched a webinar uh, a very, you know, uh, I, what I say, an old-fashioned webinar, which, of course, at the time, were c- 
terribly unfashionable. And so, you know, people working in live events, big trade shows or very profitable conferences never dreamed of even thinking about webinars. And the only time we used to think about webinars is, you know, a bit of content marketing and we used to kind of more or less leave it to the marketing team, but it was never seen as a key part of our business. But of course, with our back against the walls and not being able to do anything, that was kind of the only thing I could think of. So I said, well, listen, let's just do this webinar. And we called it the Global Economic Emergency. And it was in the, I think it was the third week of March. And we got our chief economics commentator, Martin Wolf, who's a, a you know internationally re- renowned and probably our, be- our best journalist at the FT and most well-known, and two uh, external guests to essentially try to explain to the world what was happening. And remember, these were times where beginning of March, when the, really the world was turned upside down and everyone, nobody had any idea what was going to happen. And so we launched it and it took us kind of four days to market it. So we launched it very, very quickly. And by the end of that webinar, it was only a, a 25 minute webinar, we received about 6,000 registrations, which was kind of way above what we ever thought. I mean, you know, we, we hadn't really set ourselves a target, but we probably thought, well, if we get three, 400 people logging in, that'll be good. And when I saw those numbers, then suddenly there was a real, you know, light bulb moment. I thought, crikey, there's something in this, you know, this has kind of blew my expectations by far, really. And so that really gave me the confidence and the impetus to push down the digital event route. And it sounds obvious now, but digital events didn't, it wasn't a thing. It didn't exist. Even the term digital event wasn't, wasn't a thing. And so very quickly, and I remember getting an email from, from my boss saying, you know, that was amazing. Can we do it again, but bigger? And you know, the, the idea of the, the global boardroom was generated and in partnership with our colleagues at TNW, TNW is a, is a media company that the FT now owns a Dutch media company. And I was discussing with one of their founders and we came up with this idea of this event called the Global Boardroom. And the Global Boardroom was an event we then ran on the first week of May. So think, you know, this is mid-March. And so six weeks later, we ran the Global Boardroom with about 100 global speakers, including Tony Blair, Al Gore, CEOs of most incredible companies. And we convened about 55,000 people on that event. And that was an incredible journey because of course, you know, how do you do it? How do you, how do you convene over a hundred speakers? And, you know, these were big events that if you had tried to launch in an analog pre-COVID world, would have taken you probably a year and a half or two year lead time to convene uh, 50 CEOs, prime ministers, people of the caliber, Tony Blair, Al Gore, you know, trying to get these people to commit to speak in an event. These are endeavors that take years, right? But because of the pandemic, we were able to do it literally in a matter of weeks. And so, you know, I had the most incredible content and it, and because we were the first ones out of the trap, as, as, as to say, you know, the reality is we got, you know, a, a, anyone and, you know, the, the privilege of working with such an amazing brand at the FT is that by and large, when you invite people to speak, you get, you know, very high, very high confirmation rates. But at the time, essentially, uh, you know, anyone we asked said, yes, of course, we'll speak. Yeah. And the, the whole point of this event was convening the best brains and minds of the world to try and figure out what the hell was happening to this, to this world. And so we had this incredible content team and every day they kept confirming more incredible speakers. And I guess I focused very much on the technology and the delivery aspect as to how this was going to happen. And it, I can tell you it, it was, it was scary and painful and trying to f- figure out the, the best system to deliver this event was, wasn't easy. Remember, these are the days where nobody could guarantee how many 
online registrants you could, the system could cope with. And I remember having a conversation with some of these technology leaders and, you know, the answers I, w I was getting was like, well, we're not really sure, you know, maybe 5,000, maybe 4,000, maybe 6,000. I remember saying, well, what do you mean? Maybe I need a definite answer. Right. And, you know, I've just had 6,000 people register for this webinar. We're probably going to go bigger than that. And I need some guarantees. And, and the reality is that nobody could give me those guarantees because the technology at the time just wasn't well developed enough. And so we actually ended up doing a, I guess, a direct live stream, live stream on our, on our website. And so we ended up not using uh, a traditional event registration delivery system. And so we, we used our friends at Isabel to register the delegates, but we then at the time decided to, to live stream directly onto one of our websites. And, and ultimately that was the right decision because we ended, we entered that event on day one with 23,000 registrations. But by the end of day one, it was a three-day digital event, by the way. But by the end of day one, we had reached 55,000 registrations. So throughout the day of day one, the registrations had doubled and it was incredible. The reality is I would have had to have capped the attendance because, you know, I was getting answers like, mm, we're not sure, but certainly not in the tens of thousands. And so we would have capped the registrations. We probably would have been happy, but we had never, we would never have known that there'd been other tens of thousands of people out there that w wanted to join us and couldn't have joined us. So I guess we made the right decision. We were lucky, but it was, it was hair raising and nerve wracking. You know, we, we had two cyber attacks on our event the day, a couple of days before the event, a couple of people trying to bring the website down. And so it was, it was hair raising stuff. I can tell you that. Wow. Going back to that first webinar, you said you got mm -hmm. about 6,000 registrations. Correct. Yeah. What does that look like in comparison to your regular in-person conferences up till that point? Oh, sure. I mean, listen, these are, these are numbers that were kind of, you know, blowing our brains, right? So, you know, even the 20,000, the 50,000, these were numbers we, we'd never, you know, would have dreamed uh, of delivering. You know, our average pre-COVID event was probably 150 to 200 very senior executives in a five-star hotel. Just to give you a, a sense of the scale of the transformation be, before COVID, FT Live used to convene and, you know, we had a, a global event business, so we we're running events all over the world, but we used to convene about 25,000 um, uh, people every year at our conferences, in-person conferences. And now, uh, and that's cumulative over the course cumulative, of multiple in-person conferences correct. for the year. So correct. And now that number is about 300,000 people. So, and obviously that includes, you know, d digital, right? And so essentially a, a more than tenfold increase in, in the numbers of people that we're attracting to listen to our content. And that obviously is extremely powerful on lots of different levels, right? For our sponsors that sponsor events, for our subscriber proposition, for amazing journalists that want to be heard in every corner of the world. And so really we're evangelizing the word of the FT now through digital in every corner of the world. And I look at event registrations and I can see people from Argentina, Chile, Australia, Papua New Guinea, you know, you, you name it, there are people logging in, right? And these are people who would never have come to our events, right? So we're not, it's not a question of cannibalizing physical attendees with digital audiences. These are new audiences that, you know, pretty conceivably would never have, you know, flown from Papua New Guinea to attend an event in London or New York, right? And so the added value has just been incredible to me. That's amazing, man. So to go from, you, you said 25,000 in a year, cumulative mm -hmm. from in-person yeah. to a single event of 6,000 to then another single event yeah. with 55,000. 55, I think it was 56, but yeah. Yes, it so it, the, the <laughs> yeah. scale of those numbers is, is amazing. Obviously, yeah. 
with that switch and that initial test and that initial mm-hmm. webinar and then doubling down and saying, no, we're going to do global boardroom. Yeah. Your team who was mm. used to doing in-person physical events, yeah. shifting yeah. to all digital, what does that look like for them in terms of skill set and abilities and, you know, bringing in extra yeah, people and the question. way, the way you shift that? Very good question. You know, the, the honest answer is it was really, really hard. And I would say that the majority of the team embraced it and, you know, I guess, came on this journey with me, but it was hard because, you know, we were suddenly trying to get our heads around stuff we'd never done before. As the months went by, we realized that we, you know, we did need a long-term solution in terms of technology partners and providers. And so, you know, I remember spending most of the summer of 2020 speaking to, I don't want to say hundreds, there were probably tens of technology platform providers. And by the end of it, I, I definitely felt like a bit of an expert. You know, I, was, I remember asking, asking them difficult questions because I, I, know, I know where all the skeletons were hidden with these technology platforms. But back to the question about the team, it was very difficult, Eric, because some people found it just really hard and too hard. A, the pressure and the intensity, because the pressure and the intensity was pretty incredible. The reality is the global boardroom meant that over the next few weeks, we were getting inquiries from clients left, right, and center saying, oh my God, we want to be part of this. Can you run an event for us? Can we be involved in your digital events? And so we had a huge uptick in, in interest from potential partners and sponsors. And obviously in a, in a scenario where essentially our live event business was down to zero, we needed to take it, it, everything we could, right? And so it just meant that the pressure was very intense. The pace was unbelievably intense. Again, it's like move from analog to digital. It's a completely different mindset. I remember, you know, doing a session with my whole team. And I remember we're doing this all virtually and digitally, by the way, because we're, we're in lockdown, right? We don't, for about 12 months, nobody's meeting face to face. And this is happening kind of remotely, which is incredible, right? But I remember doing sessions on what agile product development was, because this was a team that had never heard of agile or never heard of product development. You know, they were essentially used to an analog conference model. As I said, most people embraced it and enjoyed it, but some people really didn't, didn't like it and didn't, didn't find it easy. I guess in particular our operations team. And so this is the team that is usually tasked with, you know, booking, booking venues and making sure that our on-site experience is flawless and, and incredible. Well, when you ask a team that is used to doing that to essentially become digital event AV production specialist, you know, some people like the challenge, but frankly, other people didn't because it's a completely different job. And so, you know, unfortunately we did lose some people who felt like, you know what, this just isn't for me. It's not playing to my skill set. I'm finding it too stressful and too difficult. I remember these are days where digital technology also was very unreliable. And so, you know, we started running digital events on some of, some of our preferred partners platforms. And, you know, we would sometimes run events and suddenly the screen would go to black or the, the whole system would come crashing down. And that's very nerve wracking. You know, when you're running an, an event in a, in a convention center in a hotel and the room is too cold or too hot, or the microphone's not working, you know, you can fix that. Everything is fixable in, in a physical world, right? In a digital kind of TV type world, when the screen goes to black, it's like you're the, the, the feeling in your stomach and the sinking feeling in your stomach is horrific, right? And if you're the operations manager who's running that event, well, it's a horrible feeling, right? And it's nerve wracking. And because the last thing you want is, is for your event to go down. And so, but listen, by and large, listen, most of the team, you know, came on the journey and, you know, they've just been incredible, to be honest. And the way they embrace the change is something that I'm still unbelievably proud of. And unfortunately, some people had to move on because they felt it was just not, not what they wanted. It's, it's been a, an incredible journey. And now we have probably one of the most skilled 
teams and running digital events out there and we're confident with different platforms, different formats from a webinar to a four day event with 150 speakers. And of course, now we're into hybrid territory. So as we go back to physical, we're figuring out what a hybrid event is and what it means. And so it's a very exciting, FD Live is a very exciting place to be at the moment. It's, it's running very fast. It's growing very quickly. It's a much bigger business now than it was pre-pandemic. And so, you know, every day is, is, is exhilarating and exciting. Well, I mean, obviously in-person and virtual communities don't need or even want the same things. They don't function mm -hmm. the same. You may have different yeah. generational gaps, digital natives, et cetera, mm -hmm. with 52 or, well, let's say 55,000 people in mm -hmm. attendance at, you know, a large event. Obviously that's a lot of customer journeys mm -hmm. that are being kicked off. What's the long-term strategy look mm -hmm. like for nurturing and engaging that community both during and post event? Like what do those touch points look like to keep attendees engaged during and after? Yeah. Good, good question. I remember these, this question would have been relevant pre-pandemic, right? So, you know, especially for us working in the B2B community media space, you know, one of, one of our biggest kind of questions was how do we nurture our communities and how do we make sure that they engage with us, not just at the event, you know, the famous 365 day marketing plan, right? You know, th this isn't new, right? We've been talking about this for years and years, but in a way it's come to the forefront a bit more with the digital transformation. And I would say that the reality is that the, the technology is still not complete and it's still not not there in terms of where i'd like to see it and so we're at a stage now where the technology in terms of registration and delivering digital events is in a good place right and so you know latency issues or or capacity issues have now more or less been solved you can run a, a digital event on one of these platforms with hundreds of thousands of people and, and it'll be fine right but what, we're, what they're not still great at is the whole you know online digital networking and pre and post event networking and nurturing, right? Uh, and this is something that everyone struggles and uh, has struggled. And a couple of reasons, these digital networking and nurturing really needs an, a network effect. And so there's a reason it's taken LinkedIn years and years and years to develop. It, it's now doing well. And, you know, you need very, very big scale to make these things work, right? And so even with a couple of thousands of, uh, of attendees, I'm seeing some improvements in terms of digital networking, but it's very hard to get people to say, well, come and network on our event platform instead of networking on LinkedIn. You know, I find it hard, you know, when I, when I attend events and I'm like, well, I don't know, not really. And then of course it only works at scale, right? And so it only works if people reply to the messages you send, or if people sending you mess, if you reply to them, right? The reality is we're not there yet because, you know, we, we operate on so many different platforms in our personal lives, right? We've got email, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. And so, you know, oh, and here's another one from this event that I'm going to attend next week. And they want me to start networking online. And listen, different people have got different motivations, right? If you're, if you're attending an event or a big trade show and you need to set up meetings and business development is your key raison d'etre, then you kind of need to get on that platform and really start sending those messages out. But, you know, we, we know that still the engagement is still pretty low and that's just something that, you know, I just don't know if anyone's going to be able to crack that so much. Just yet. There's, there's just steps yet. being taken for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, you know, we all know that some of these the big providers have re received record investment during the pandemic, right? And that's a positive, right? Because we're now seeing them scale up their capabilities and their functionalities. I think what we're realizing now with the hybrid model and we're, we're returning back to physical. In fact, and as you know, I'm here in Washington at the moment, we're lo we've launched our first US weekend festival at the Kennedy Center. 
it's very exciting to walk into a beautiful convention center and, and, and run a in-person event, but we don't want to lose those digital audiences that from Papua New Guinea that would never have come to the F2 weekend festival at the Kennedy center in Washington, DC, right? And so for me, you know, digital is still really, really important. We need to hold on to those audiences. And the only way we have of doing so is by offering a, a hybrid event model. And that's evolving and we're learning a lot. And, you know, what is a hybrid event and what is the digital to physical mix is something that we're experiencing right now. And so we're looking very closely at the data, what customers are telling us. Uh, and I guess it's a constantly evolving product, which, uh, you know, is also very exciting. Well, that in the light of that, now that we are seeing a return to in-person events and you've mm -hmm. stated that you want to maintain a digital first approach as mm -hmm you're doing your events moving forward, what are some of those struggles and what is the shape of that mm. taking moving forward as yeah. you're, you and everyone are moving into this post-pandemic yeah. phase? So a, a couple of the struggles are, you know, I think what we're seeing now is a, is a spike a spike in in-person attendance, which, you know, I guess relatively obvious after, after two years of being locked in at home. And so one of the questions I have and my team have is, you know, is this spike going to be permanent or is it just kind of an initial kind of pent up demand? Is that going to slow down a bit? I also think the global economic situation we're working in now will play more favorable, favorably towards digital events because you're know, notwithstanding COVID, if we're entering a, a time of recession, inflation, stagflation, where marketing budgets are going to start starting to get cut and travel budgets are going to start getting cut, then I, I, I have a feeling that digital is going to come come back and play an important role yet again in being able to connect people and also a more cost-effective and faster option for companies to market their product via digital. You know, physical events are great, but you know, the, the lead times necessary to convene, you know, people in a physical presence are, are, are not that conducive to making fast business decisions, right? And so, you know, if I, I, I want to sponsor a, a physical event, well, it's kind of a six to 12 month project, right? I need to think of, you know, how much are we going to spend on this event? Who's going to go, who's going to speak and what level of investment and, and coordinating diaries and travel. It's kind of an expensive endeavor with a long, long lead time. So it's not that efficient actually from a, if you think about, think, think about, put your CMO cap on, you know, what's the quickest, quickest, most productive and valuable way of achieving the goals that we tend to achieve with events. Well, actually physical events take some boxes, but you know, there are some still quite some negatives in terms of time to market and expense ratio and getting people on a plane and coordinating their diaries. And so I have a sense that the spike we're seeing in in-person demand is, is natural, but I have a sense that that may, may slow down and digital may pick up again. And so, you know, the trend we're seeing now is physical is going back up, but obviously digital numbers are, are smaller than they were a year ago for obvious reasons, but I think it'll, it'll plateau in the next couple of years. And so I, I think you'll see that spike from physical coming down and potentially digital going back up again. When but, you said, you know, this, uh, is, this is second guessing. Yeah? yeah. When you said check the boxes, I immediately mm. went in my head to most people are familiar with this. They've been on a website, they've clicked the pricing tab mm -hmm. and they yeah. see the different tiers and they see, you know, the, the free tier has all these boxes checked to mm -hmm. a point and then the next tier that you pay more mm -hmm. for has more boxes checked. I'm yeah. thinking of that I'm thinking of that now in terms of in-person, hybrid and virtual Correct. and which boxes are checked and so on yeah. and and which 
fits for people in their current monetary state and, and financial state, as well as, you know, convincing the boss that it's worthwhile mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so on. So, yeah. And the way I, I presented it to, to my team and I've used this slide at a couple of external events is, you know, take, take an old fashioned sales or marketing funnel. And then depending on where on the funnel you think you are, your product is, your, whatever you're trying to achieve, then there are different event solutions for you there. So if you're looking for, say you're a software or a SaaS product and you're looking for a lead generation. Well, back in pre pandemic days, you know, we might organize a, you know, a dinner or an event and invite some potential clients. But again, you know, what kind of notice do you need to give your clients to come to one of those events? Probably two, three months, you know, anything shorter, you're just not going to get the numbers. And how many people are you going to convene in a room to talk about a piece of technology, you know, 50, 60, hundred, if you're lucky. Well, that kind of activity has been completely replaced by digital webinars, right? And so if you're a software provider and you're looking for a lead generation type of activity, well, a digital webinar will deliver you hundreds of leads, right? And it'll do that very quickly. And so we, we offer, we run two types of events at FT Live. We run our owned flagship events, which is our preferred business model, but we also have a clientele and events business. And that clientele events business relies very heavily on the digital product because, you know, in the example of that lead generation activity, well, that digital webinar, let's call it webinar, it sounds old fashioned, beats an uh, in-person conference every day in terms of route to market, in terms of cost. You know, we can, we can spin up a digital event for a client in about four weeks. You know, we ask for a four week lead time in terms of making sure that we convene the right audience for our clients. But in four weeks time and without flying anyone to anywhere, we're able to deliver our clients with hundreds of leads, depending on, you know, what market it, it, they're operating is and, and, and is it aligned with, with our readership, right? And that is hugely powerful, right? Because good luck trying to convene four or 500 people at a sponsored dinner where someone's going to talk about their technology, right? It's going to take you about six months maybe to put that together and lots of expense, right? And so some digital experiences, I think, have completely replaced what used to happen before pandemic and that's just not going away but conversely you know if you want to sit on stage next to the ft editor or next to a prime minister or next to tony blair or al gore or you know joe biden or you name it well you can do that digitally but obviously it's quite powerful to do that in, in, in an in-person fashion as well and so there's definitely a place for in-person and then back to networking and deal making and so you know you know my favorite events are events where I say deal making, but where business actually happens at the events, right? And so in the B2B media world, deal making events are the most powerful, powerful and profitable events, right? So, you know, content is what gets people to buy the ticket and make, gives it, gives you the seal of approval that this is a good conference, but actually at some events, as you will know, a lot of people just are in the corridors or in the meeting rooms doing business, right? They'll dip into the content, the real, the real reason that there is to do business. And those are very powerful event propositions because it gives you pricing power. And in a way, the price of a conference ticket is irrelevant if I can get a big deal done or lined up at an event, right? And that's very hard to replicate on online and digitally. It's really hard because doing big, you know, deals online, it's just, it's just something that, that is not easy, right? And it's not natural. And you do need that face-to-face -face and personal element. And so depending on the what you're trying to achieve as a client or as a sponsor or as a delegate, then think about the marketing funnel and think, you know, is physical the best 
type of product or maybe digital or maybe hybrid, depending, you know, sometimes you want a bit of both. You want some lead generation, but you also want some big kind of top of the funnel brand activation, right? Or sometimes you just want, you know, a very intimate dinner with kind of ready, hot sales leads and doing that in a five-star Michelin-starred restaurant is a very powerful proposition that just isn't going to work online, right? So it really depends on what you're trying to achieve by your event experience and then think about where in the funnel you're at and think about, well, is digital better or physical better or, or hybrid? And so that's the way I, I try to explain it to my team and my tre- team try to explain the range of options to our clients. That's great. Obviously, we're about a third into the year right now. You're doing an in-person event right now. I'd love yeah. to direct people to where they can find out about your digital offerings as well as your future in-person offerings. What's the best place to send people to? Well, it's live.ft.com is our website. So that's kind of the, the best place to see where all, all our events are happening. And there we've, we've got you know physical, digital, roundtables, conferences, you know, events, you know, I'm happy to say we've just confirmed Elon Musk to speak at our future of the car event next week. Right. So this is again, you know, the, the privilege of working for such an incredible brand. I mean, you know, I'm very, I'm very lucky to be in a position where I'm working with an incredible newsroom that is able to essentially reach out to Elon Musk and get him to speak at one of our events. And so next Tuesday, Elon Musk is going to speak at our event, but you know, and he's beaming in digitally, by the way. So that's a hybrid event where Elon is going to, it's going to, come in digitally and you know obviously the beauty of of hybrid and digital is that it allows us to to get in speakers that just would have been really hard to get in person right and yeah so yet another um, variable that has now correct i mean pre-pandemic physical events i attended one or two and did have that happen but it mm-hmm. was still very clunky but we've gone through this kind of digital birthing of the technology and the growth and and sped up the process to where that's now going to be something we're going to see much more often. Correct. So yeah, live.ft.com, you can see what's coming up. But, you know, conversely, tomorrow at the Kennedy Center, I'm going to meet Henry Kissinger, who's our keynote speaker. And isn't that incredible to be able to, you know, meet him in person, right? We've got Henry Kissinger and we've got Bill Burns, the director of the CIA, coming to speak and, you know, an incredible program of arts, culture, and music, and the National Symphony Orchestra is going to play for us at the Kennedy Center. And so, you know, those are in-person experiences that you, you, you won't forget, right? And so, yes, could we have got Henry Kessinger to speak online? Sure, we could have, right? But could we have got the National Symphony Orchestra to play online? Well, we actually did that. So at the, at the, at the peak of the pandemic, we had the London Symphony Orchestra play for us at the FT Weekend Festival, which is amazing, right? But, you know, is going, going on for a nice Saturday at the Kennedy Center and being able to bump into Henry Kissinger or Bill Burns or Tina Brown or, or, or you name it, or doing a whiskey tasting or a wine tasting or listening to some live music. Well, those are special experiences and, and memories and moments that, you know, we still do want to create and we still do think that, that they have value. It's all about creating those event experiences regardless yeah. of platform or, or in-person space. So yeah. great. Orson, it's been awesome talking with you today. I can't wait to have you back on the show in the future. Thank you. It'll be yeah. great to, to catch up again, but yeah. thank you so much for being here and I'll link well, up to everything. You. Yeah. I'll link up to everything we talked about in the show notes and it's been great. Uh, thank uh, you so much. Great. And if anyone wants to reach out, you know, LinkedIn's probably the best place to find me if you want to drop me a message. And, Perfect. And, quite active on LinkedIn. I'll, li- I'll but, link up to your uh, profile there in our show notes as well. Thank you. And best of luck to everyone who's going through the, the hybrid digital in-person journey. Uh, it's exciting. It's nerve wracking, but uh, think big. 
is my kind of takeaway message. Think big and don't be afraid of experimenting. Wow, what a great conversation with Orson. I'm so glad to have been able to speak with him and share it with you. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already by hitting the follow or subscribe button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this. Also, would you do us the favor and share this episode with someone that you know needs to hear it? Just head on over to bizabo.com slash podcasts and share with another event prof who will thank you for it. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next episode.